Hi, this is Mark Scarborough, and this is the podcast, Walking with Dante, a podcast that you know has walked into the second canto of Purgatorio all the way through Inferno. It sits back as season one behind us, where it lines 76 through 87 in Canto 2 of Purgatorio. We have come through the prelude to this, the star sequence. Then we got our first narrative sequence, which was about an angel's arrival in a boat. And now we are into the second narrative sequence, which involves the pilgrims or the souls who got off that boat. That pilgrim soul thing, you know, is a little bit difficult to actually ascertain. But let's just say we're into the second narrative bit from this, the second canto of Purgatorio. If you want to find the translation for lines 76 through 87, it's my own. It lies on my website, markscarborough.com or walkingwithdante.com. You can read along, print it off, make comments on it if you want, or drop a comment on my website and we can have a further discussion about this passage. It's going to bring up one of the crucial issues for Purgatorio and so far in comedy, although it's been unsolved. So here we go into the passage. I saw one of them come toward me to give me a big hug. He showed so much affection for me that I was moved to do the same. Oh, empty shades, except in your appearance. Three times I clasped my hands behind him, and each time I drew them back against my own chest. The wonder of it all, I believe, tented my face, at which the shade smiled and stepped back, while I pressed forward as if to follow him, Speaking gently, he told me to cut it out. It was then that I recognized him, and I asked if he could stick around a bit to have a chat with me. This is the moment, the body-soul moment. We've been waiting for this moment. We've been questioning corporeality of the soul. There's so much to talk about around that. I want to begin that discussion with this passage. Before we get to that bit, though, about corporeality and the soul and not being able to hug this one and your arms going through him and all that stuff, let's look at a few different pieces of this passage that have resonances elsewhere. I want to point out three things here that are so different from Inferno and where we've come from. That's how I'd like to start. One is the soul here approaches Dante the Pilgrim with so much affection. This is really the first time we've seen this kind of action of affection. I mean, when we first saw Cato on the shores of what we now know is Mount Purgatory, when we first saw him, he almost seemed threatening. His first questions were, what are you doing here? And how'd you get here? And almost as if he was trying to run them off. We haven't really seen any moment of affection since the appearance of Virgil in the dark 
Wood way back in Inferno Canto 1. In that episode, it is much more the master has appeared to the student or the pupil. Virgil, this great poet, has come to find and save the Pilgrim Dante. This seems much more on an equal footing, as if two souls are meeting who know each other, they are going to know each other. This soul is still unnamed in this passage, and we're going to leave him unnamed for now. We will find out who this is, but let's leave him unnamed because he isn't named at the start of the passage, and that may be important. Still, nonetheless, affection, equality, compatriots, friends, we feel this in the passage. And honestly, when have we seen this so far in comedy? This tells us that there is a major change happening in Purgatorio, and to bring it back to that point that I constantly talk about, it tells us that Purgatorio is going to be more human. These are humans being friends, and part of being human is smiling. He he, 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 he beckons or seems to come toward the pilgrim, then the pilgrim tries to to hug him. The pilgrim can't hug him. And the pilgrim says, the wonder of it all tinted my face, at which the shade smiled and stepped back. Smiling. We really haven't seen a smile since Virgil smiled in limbo when Dante was accepted amongst the poets. This is the first of many smiles ahead. And surely a smile is a deeply human gesture of affection, of acceptance, of camaraderie. It's lovely to see it sitting right here. And finally, here's how we know we're in a slightly different landscape. Our pilgrim is wondering, the wonder of it all tinted my face. We've talked about this, the successions of wonders, but now that wonder is back in the pilgrim. Remember, these shades were wondering, marveling at him because he was breathing. Now, Dante the pilgrim is wondering at the inability to hug this soul who has approached him on the shores of purgatory. All fascinating changes that show us that what's ahead is different from what has come behind us. Let's talk about one more human bit in this passage, and that is when the shade, the still unnamed shade or spirit, speaks, the pilgrim Dante recognizes him by his voice. At the end of the passage, speaking gently, he told me to cut it out. It was then that I recognized him, recognized him by his voice. Now, this is going to become important because this fellow is eventually going to sing a song. So Dante and the voice, and there's a connection here. That's all important to what's ahead. But let's just stop and say, again, this is extremely human. To recognize someone's voice, to hear a voice that you had lost. Imagine if you were uh, walking to your house, uh, walking down the road, and you heard the voice of someone who you believed was dead. Your mom, your dad, grandparents, uh, children, siblings, and you heard this voice. Isn't it astounding how the human voice connects us, that it brings us into a relationship with each other, which surely doing it here in this podcast, and that makes this all the more poignant of an episode, the need to touch 
someone else, to reach out, to hug them, to feel their physical presence, and yet not be able to do it. Now, let's take a look at that hugging action, the three clasps of the hands. So the pilgrim tries to hug this shade, still, again, unnamed. Three times he does it. Each time, of course, his hands go through the shade. This passage has been oft noted. There are two references in the Aeneid. Commentators debate endlessly which of the two these are. The first reference is Aeneid, book two, lines 792 through 794. This is the moment in which Aeneas spots his now dead wife who appears as a shade and he tries in the ruins of Troy to uh, grasp her, to hold her, to to hug her in some way, and three times he can't do it. That's the first instance. The second time is in the underworld, in the Aeneid, book six, lines 700 through 702. At that point, Aeneas sees his father and tries to clasp his father, and again, three times, His arms go through the shade. Critics love to debate which of these passages is being referenced here. Some come down on the wife because, uh, without telling you the whole plot, this fellow who the Pilgrim Dante has tried to hug is going to start in on singing a love song. And because of this love song, the idea is, well, this is then a reference to Aeneas trying to hug his wife. Other people say, no, no, no. This is the afterlife. This is Aeneas and his father. It's that afterlife, underworld, weird landscape kind of reference. My question is, does it in the end truly matter? I mean, yes, we can build interpretations off which of the two passages from the Aeneid is being referenced here, but we do know that Dante is picking this up from the Aeneid, and maybe that's the most important thing we can say. Dante is still using the Aeneid as some kind of guide to the afterlife. It was used intensely and perhaps even excessively in the early Cantos of Inferno. It started to fade away a bit at the walls of Dis, but we can still see the resonances with the Aeneid. They're still proliferating around us. Maybe that's what's important to note. Virgil's still here. The Aeneid's still around. What happens in the afterlife of the Aeneid, whether it is Aeneas seeing his the shade of his dead wife or Aeneas in the underworld seeing his father, nonetheless, we're still at a Virgilian underworld stance, even though we are starting to enter the most Christian part of the poem. Let's talk about the corporeality problem. The pilgrim tries to hug this guy three times, and three times it doesn't work. This seems to be a major change in the poem. Before, in Inferno, the pilgrim is able to actually somehow physically interact with them. Virgil was able to pick him up and carry him various places. There is no doubt that there is a corporeal functionality of the shades in the afterlife. This begins a major change. There's a recent book by the theologian Dennis Turner, Dante the Theologian. In this book, Turner offers an 
interesting idea about why Dante is able to interact with the shades of hell, but here suddenly can't. What Turner claims is that Dante is part of the damned soul's punishments. And because he is part of their punishments, he is therefore able to interact with them, to pull their hair, to kick their heads on the ice sheet of Cocytus. Maybe. I have a difficulty with this. On one level, I can feel it's correct because, A, Dante is part of their torment in that, let's say, Farinata. Farinata's family now sees Farinata as damned and in hell amongst the heretics. And in fact, for 700 years, we've all thought Farinata is in a tomb with the heretics. So Dante is contributing to their punishment as the poet. The pilgrim? I don't know. And if he is part of the punishment of the damned, then Still, why can Virgil carry him up and down the slopes of the Malabolja? Why can Virgil grab hold of him on Garion's back and hold on? Why doesn't Virgil essentially go through Dante? Or what is it about Dante that somehow holds Virgil's arms in place? It seems to me that the more logical answer is that the question of the corporeal nature of the afterlife is changing. Listen, the question of the soul and the body and their connection to one another is incredibly, indeed absurdly complex. It has bedeviled Western thinkers for thousands of years. Let me just back up and say, we can definitely say that Dante seems to accept the notion that the soul, the word he most frequently uses is anima, the animating force, the anima, the soul, the spirit, the anima is an Aristotelian act. Now, this is a little bit difficult to define, so just let me have this a minute. Aristotle means by an act, something that is necessary and sufficient for existence. So the soul for Dante seems to be something that enlivens the body. That is, it is a life force that gives life to the body. You can go out in places like Convivio, Dante's The Banquet, The Convivio, in Book 3, Chapter 6, Lines 11 through 12, and you can see Dante arguing from this notion kind of of an Aristotelian act. Dante's probably getting this through Aquinas, but through other sources as well. That is, the soul organizes the body, directs its development, and gives life to the body. In fact, this idea of a soul as a life force is really important. And the reason it's important is because then you have to say, if you're going to say the soul is a life force, you're going to have to say that plants and animals have souls, that tulips have souls, that your dog has a soul, that, I don't know, a squirrel in your backyard has a soul. Because if the soul is what animates physical matter and gives it life, then rocks don't have souls, but tulips must have some kind of life force in them. This causes Dante and others to make a distinction between the sensitive soul, that is, the soul that brings life, and the 
celestial soul. Dante, by and large, defines the celestial soul as the intellect or the seat of rationality. The sensitive soul in humans then uses their sensory organs, not sensitive as in uh, easily hurt feelings, but sensitive as in sensing. It uses sensory organs to learn. The intellectual soul then would be bestowed by God. It's the intellect. For Dante, it's going to become the rational. It's divine infusion. And we're moving toward this in Purgatorio, that there is a way in which we'll find out in our long disquisition ahead of us on embryology that that soul, the intellect, the rational part is infused into the fetus by God, not at conception. Oh, wait till we get there. Dante early on seems to believe that the human soul uh, is somehow made rational. Again, when he gets to the comedy, he seems to start changing his mind and seeing that all things have a sensing soul. But humans have a uniquely rational soul, which leads us to this problem that, uh, how do I say this? Dante is all about privileging the body. We haven't talked about this much, but I just want to sit here for a minute. One of the things that's amazing about the comedy is the physicality of the afterlife. This is one of those moments in which the afterlife gets spooky, in which you put your arms through a shade. But this is rare. Dante is working around this problem of the materiality of the afterlife. And what is so astounding in Dante is that he's there. How do I put this to you? The pilgrim is a reverse incarnation. If Jesus is this piece of the Godhead that is down here incarnated into flesh in Christian theology, then in the comedy, it's the reverse. The pilgrim is a body who has been transferred, and dare we even use such a phrase, incarnated into the spiritual afterlife. He then exists in this plane that is not his natural medium. There is a kind of weird reverse incarnation going on with the pilgrim as the living soul in the afterlife. And this is why I say that one of the things that makes Dante's comedy so intriguing is that he seems to be materializing or embodying the soul. Early on, way back with Chaco and others, we had this idea that souls were emptinesses lying there amongst the gluttons in the filth. But then they seem to get more corporeal, able to move rocks. How can a soul move a rock that they can be torn apart, that they can be clipped in half by the schismatics, that their heads can be cut off, that Dante can pull their hair and kick their heads. It's all weirdly physicalized spirituality. And here the terms of the equation are 
flipped. For the first time, the souls seem to be coming disembodied. This is going to lead Dante toward his great revelation, which we will see him work out in Purgatorio ahead of us, exactly how the soul and the body interact. And what are these things in the afterlife? The amazing thing about Dante is he can't leave these problems alone. He feels that he needs to solve them. Many a narrative writer, storyteller, many a storyteller would simply say, well, it's just the terms of my story. You got to live with it. Dante seems to want to solve it. But here we can start to see the move of a change. Wait a minute. These souls are not material. You can't pull this guy's hair. You can't. <laughs> kick him in the head. You can't have this guy pick you up and have him climb up the mountain holding you. No, none of that seems to be able to happen. I don't think it's just because Dante is an instrument of torture in hell. He's not an instrument necessarily of torture toward Virgil. I think instead Dante has been all about attempting to give the soul a material embodiment He's realizing the limits of that, and now he's going to have to figure out what is the relationship between the body and soul, something that has bedeviled Western thinkers for thousands of years. Let's give this passage one more go. Purgatorio, Canto 2, lines 76 through 87. I saw one of them come toward me to give me a big hug. He showed so much affection for me that I was moved to this, do the same for him. Oh, empty shades, except in your appearance. Three times I clasped my hands behind him, and each time I drew them back against my own chest. The wonder of it all, I believe, tented my face, at which the shade smiled and stepped back. While I pressed forward as if to follow him, speaking gently, he told me to cut it out. It was then that I recognized him, and I asked if he could stick around a bit to have a chat with me. I wanted to give this passage its due, and so this is a shorter episode of Walking with Dante because this passage starts a very long and complicated discussion, as you can tell. We're going to find out what they discuss starting in the next episode of this podcast. To get there, you have to subscribe to this podcast. If you can rate it on whatever platform you're on, that would be terrific. And better yet, if you can drop a comment, even just nice podcast or thanks a lot, that would help a lot because the podcast is unsupported and that is the way in fact that you can support it in the algorithms that we live among i'm mark scarborough and i can't wait until we continue on to the conversation with this strange soul that dante the pilgrim can't touch in the next episode of walking with dante (laughs) 